Welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing the 2009 Star Trek reboot film directed by J.J. Abrams. And the name that we're not going to forget this week is Carl Urban. Yes. As when his name came up on the credits, I was like, that's the one, because I still <laughs> yeah. hadn't looked it up. As soon as I saw him in the film, I was like, it's Carl Urban. It's Car- How can I forget Carl Urban's name? And I do this consistently. Every time the movie comes up after a while, I'm like, yeah, and the actor who did McCoy, he was so good. He's in the Lord of the Rings, and I don't know his name. So, yeah. Carl Urban. Go Carl us. Urban. He's an excellent actor, and I will endeavor not to forget his name anymore. Also, apparently, this is the only um, Star Trek uh, franchise, whatever, that I own physically. Well, yes, I don't. My sister slash roommate does. Mm-hmm. So it physically exists in my house, which I didn't even know before yesterday. So that was fun to discover. Yes. Does she own all three movies? No, no. That would make things too easy for next week. Oh, Okay. All right. The third one is on Netflix. Really? Okay. I'll have to track down the second one. Okay. Um, Now, a little bit of interesting Star Trek news came out just yesterday, actually. Uh, We posted a link and somebody sent us a link to another article as well that apparently Quentin Tarantino is working on an idea for a Star Trek film. And he's mentioned it. One of the articles I read posed it as a collaboration with J.J. Abrams. Another one said that like he had talked about it with J.J. Abrams. Um, so I don't know if the details on whether it's going to be like a collaboration joint writing effort are too cemented yet. But that's an interesting sort of bit in Star Trek news. I don't think it's going to happen. No? No. Because... They'd either have to do a complete reboot... Or again, Mm -hmm. or they'd have to get everybody back on board, which would, as nobody is in a contract anymore, would be so expensive. Yes, that is true. That's a very good point. And like, does the studio even think people want another Star Trek movie? I don't know. Movies are super complicated and more often than not, do not go. And and I've also uh, was reading like, do we really think Tarantino's going to top off his like 10 film or whatever it is career um, with making like this type of movie? Well, I, I think people forget that Tarantino is a big goddamn nerd. Oh, that's like, true. He is a huge nerd. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. And I think a lot of his. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you go. I was going to say that's one of the reasons why he got involved because he is a Star Trek nerd. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of his fans are not nerds, you, you, like people who like Pulp Fiction. They're probably not nerds. I don't know. You know what I mean? I know a lot of nerds who like Pulp Fiction, so I may be coming from the I wrong guess. fan group. I know a lot of people who aren't nerds or would never consider themselves nerds, at the very least, who love a lot of his movies. Right. And I don't think a lot of people realize that he is a really big nerd. Mm-hmm. Like... 
Yeah, like doesn't like doesn't he pride himself on his thirty-five millimeter collection of kung fu movies? Like that's the nerdiest thing I've ever heard. That that's where partly where Kill Bill evolved from. Like if you yeah. know like a bit about kung fu movies, and I've I've listened to the commentary on the Kill Bill movies, and it was fascinating because um, my husband and I like um, martial arts movies and kung fu movies as well. Though I'm not nearly as well versed mm-hmm. as other people are, and I love Tarantino, and uh, I love Tarantino's work. So I was like really intrigued when I heard the news. Who knows if it'll actually pan out? Um, but I think that if anybody could do an, what am I trying to say? I don't know if I would want him to do a Star Trek movie, but I would love to see what he could do for Star Trek the way Kill Bill was for kung fu movies and things like that right i I would love to see him work in sci-fi he would take a good original take on it yes that was not a good sentence you know what i mean yeah yeah um and apparently you would not let him make it violent though so that would be interesting i know (laughs) in the article i read this morning one of the commenters were like where i guess we're gonna find out how many times they can say motherfucker in a star trek film yeah (laughs) it's like okay well um and apparently this is they have him working with like a writing room and that's that's the other thing is like to have him work within the constraints of the star trek universe and all the the vast canon that's there Mm -hmm. i think might be one of the reasons it could fall apart because he's going to be like well this is where my vision wants to take it. And the studio's like, well, you have to use these characters and this doesn't work because of canon reasons. And then, yeah, like it would devolve from there. So just don't set it with the main cast. Just pick new people. Just do it. Be bold. Anyway. Well, that would be interesting if they did like a side start with completely new characters, but like happening beside characters that people knew. Yes. And then you don't have to worry about getting the same actors back. And you don't have to worry about timelines with Kirk and Spock and when this happened. You can just be like, yeah, it's around this time and they're Starfleet officers and we know the general rules of Starfleet and the Federation. But here's these awesome new heroes. Here are their names. Sort of like what Discovery is trying to do, but Discovery has a little bit of overlap Mm -hmm. that constrains them. Mm -hmm. But anyways enough about hypothetical star trek movies let's talk about this star trek movie yes um i have a confession yes the first couple times on the podcast that you mentioned the kelvin timeline Mm -hmm. yeah i had no idea what you were talking about (laughs) i i like got there from context clues right i just sort of nodded along okay that's okay that's all right now you know and then I was starting this movie and I was like, oh, the ship's called the Kelvin. There we go. That's where <laughs> she got that from. Yes. Sometimes I forget that not everybody has all of the same, you know, lingo and background that I do. Mm-hmm. But, and it got the name Kelvin Timeline, I think, after the movie. It's not like they started calling it that from the beginning. I just noticed your long list of Easter eggs slash nitpicks. So that's going to be fun to go through. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm just going to like blast through that list at the end. Okay. Okay. Yep. And then there's a good co- listener comments as well. 
and an email to get through. This would be a good one. Yes. So let's jump into the content. Um, the movie starts with what I think I decided was probably a prologue. Which is your favorite thing in the world. Coupled with flashbacks. And if they would have thrown a dream sequence in there, it would have been like a, a hat trick. I, I get that they needed to set up who and what everyone was. Probably especially for people who were Star Trek fans to like set that this was that they were doing something different, like a different, an alternate timeline. Mm-hmm. And as far as like prologues go, I mean, I, I like them less in books than I do in movies. Mm-hmm. As far as prologues go, I thought this one wasn't bad because, because of the, it's a time travel story. Right, yeah. You you kind of had to either start it off in present day and then show these past events through flashbacks or have like a non-linear story or just start at the earliest point and then jump ahead. So I thought out of all those possible choices, this one probably worked out the best. Especially for the kind of action, momentum, fast-paced film that they were going for. Mm-hmm. I'd, so I'd forgotten that uh, Chris, Chris Hemsworth was in this. Yeah, so did I. And it has cemented Chris Hemsworth as my favorite Chris in the universe of Chris's. <laughs> but one of the other Chris's is in this also. Uh, yeah, I know. And he's pretty near my bottom. Yeah. You don't like Chris Pine? Uh, I don't know. Is it just because of because he does Kirk in these, and it's not that's like, a big factor. Not like your your Kirk, as it were. Well, I like Kirk, played by William Shatner in the original series movies. Mm-hmm. Was not a fan of Kirk in the TV show, mm-hmm. and I'm not a huge fan of how Chris Pine plays Kirk in this movie series either Mm -hmm. i just uh, like i think his performance is a little sporadic in the film so i just yeah okay that's fair i was just asking yep uh what was i gonna say oh my thing on the on the prologue is that i guess this is the double-edged sword about always watching special features and interviews and stuff. Whenever I watch the prologue, all I can think about is J.J. Abrams saying that what he wanted to do with the prologue was make all the women care. As if Star Trek didn't have women fans beforehand. And that's We're going to get... I got a whole big thing about this. Yeah, I suspected you would. But yeah, that sort of soured the whole prologue for me. Yes. Yes. That brings it down a notch. It was it was up at the, you know, passable notch. Now it's kind of like, oh, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. At the bottom of the barrel now. Uh, when they get into the flashbacks mm-hmm. with Kirk and Spock, I thought that they picked some good things for Kirk and 
I thought that the Spock parts were perhaps a little weak. What were your thoughts on the flashbacks? Um, all I really remember thinking was that I liked how sort of right off the bat they were focusing on Kirk and Spock. Like that was the main relationship in the story, mm-hmm. even when they mm-hmm. didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. Now, it's clear from the movie that Kirk's trajectory in this timeline was very different. Yeah. So I thought the flashbacks worked there for him. I really liked that they had him stealing a classic car. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if it's so much in the TV show, but like in the original series movies, you kind of see some of the things that Kirk has and he has a thing for antiques. Okay. So it was a nice kind of little character bit. I thought that it was like, okay, yeah, of course he would have a classic car. He may have developed his affinity for classics and antique things in both timelines. Anyways, um, the thing that really pissed me off about the Kirk flashback though, Mm -hmm. was that it's basically implied that his stepdad physically beats him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's not cool. Is this the best Kirk's mom could do? Like Kirk's dad seemed really, really awesome. I know I meant to watch. There is a deleted scene where like you see what happens just before he runs away. And I know when I started the movie, I thought to myself, I should watch that. Because I know there's more with like the kid that he drives by. Mm -hmm. But I didn't watch it because I forgot after I got to the end of the movie. I don't usually watch deleted scenes as my normal thing. I, or commentary. I do, because I like watching all that stuff. Yeah, I'm not going to watch the certain films on this, because there's a bunch of dudes, but... Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I meant to watch that, just, just to see the context of his running away. Right. Uh, with the Spock flashback, did you... Did you buy his uh, outburst? I felt like it was kind of cheap like they got there very easily yeah and kind of lessened the fact it yeah it was just kind of cheap they got there easily Mm -hmm. yeah I, i wasn't sure how much of it was just that you know they're using child actors and there's limits to the their scope you know in their performance but yeah i don't know did you presumably you felt the same yeah it it felt a little cheap and more, more than child actors. It was probably just a time constraint. Like yeah. They wanted like the, at least they didn't do a big, huge, long drawn out flashback mm-hmm. for it, but it still felt a little shortened. And I get that they were trying to bring in that, like this is Kirk and Spock, but I felt at least with Kirk that his back parts were trying to show that he had this, you know, he, it's going to be different. Yeah. His, his person is changed. And with Spock, like, I don't know how they could have shown that. I think with Spock, they were trying to buy his mom's death. Oh, like to show, set it up so that it would have maximum impact. Yeah. Gotcha. So they hadn't had those particular flashbacks. You wouldn't have known that he particularly cared about his mother. True. True. And the other thing 
that didn't help this side of the storyline for me mm -hmm. was that I didn't particularly like Winona Ryder's performance. Hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember feeling one way or the other about her. I know the, the first time I saw the movie, her presence was like distracting because I hadn't seen her in like a decade. Yeah. But other than that, I don't, I don't, she didn't really stand out either way. I tried to look up a list of cameos and okay. This list just lists people within Star Trek who cameoed in this film. Cause I was going to say, I don't remember seeing her on that list, but it was only people who had already been in Star Trek mm. who they put on that list. So now the entire movie, or did you have anything more to say about that uh, sort of setup? No. Okay. So the entire movie, like this is a time travel mm -hmm. movie. And like an alternate un universe thing. How do you feel about those movies in general? Um, I like them when they're well done. Okay. Which is a great way to lead into, well, how did you like this one? I was just going to say, like, nothing pisses me off more than the ending of Terminator 2. When you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um. It's been too long since I've oh, well, seen Terminator 2 for me they, to... They just make that, it. But. Like, okay, I've never seen any of the, the other, like, the past Terminator 2 movies, so... I mean, I doubt this is addressed, mm -hmm. but whatever. They just... They make it so that the android, robot, bad guys, whatever, mm -hmm. can never be invented. Which means they never would have come back in time in the first place, which means they never would have been able to make it so that they were never invented. Which means... Blah, 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 you know this 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 reality should unravel yeah. and yeah yeah there's a really good uh series of uh, i want to say cartoons but i don't know if that's exactly the right word mm -hmm. um online that like explains all of the different ways that time travel can be handled mm -hmm. and yeah bad time travel movies don't stay consistent within their theory of time travel. Yeah. I I mean, I like the Terminator. Well, the ter Terminator 1, perfect time travel. Perfect time travel movie. Mm. Terminator 2, good movie, messed with the time travel. This this was right. okay, except for one thing that really bothers me, which is that Spock Prime teaches Scotty a thing that Scotty invented, and that just mm -hmm. bothers the crap out of me. Really? Yep. Because I'm like, well, who invented it then? Like, you can't can't do that. Why? Oh, mm, mm, it bothers me. That's something that Scotty Prime teaches Spock Prime. It it just bothers me a lot that that it, happened. It, I feel yeah. like he could have just poked him a little bit until he got there himself. I get that right. they were. Right, instead of just like, here's your formula. <laughs> You've invented it already. <laughs> I get there on a time constraint again, but it just, I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. That was one of the nitpicks I had as well, was with Scotty being able to transport that far and hit a moving target and do all that wonderful, fabulous stuff that never came up in the original series that shouldn't be technologically possible, that was like, we needed basically... Um, you know, a quick fix here, and so boom. I don't um Deus Ex yeah. Machina. I don't particularly mind the 
like doing things that should be technically impossible if Spock Prime is involved because he's from hundreds of years in the future or he's from significant right. amount of years in the future. So that doesn't mm-hmm. bother me that much because I personally feel like I can explain it away that, you know, there was advances. Right. He's brought yeah. his future tech in or no- and-, and knowledge and that sort of thing. So, I mean, that, that type of thing just doesn't bother me that much. I can, I can get behind it. Hmm. Do you think that Spock would interfere with a timeline and alternate universe? that way or would he have ethical issues with it um do you think like i can see where you're coming from with this question here but do you think a lot of his ethicalness would have gone out the door when he saw his planet curse load well fair point he was emotionally Mm -hmm. compromised so yeah i thought the in general the time travel here was okay And I have to say, I like that they went ahead and made it an alternate universe Mm -hmm. instead of trying to shove it into the prime universe. Yeah. And I like that they spelled it out. Yes, I liked that too. Just in case anybody didn't catch what was going on, they had Spock Prime be like, okay, well, here's what's happened. Blah, 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 blah. And yeah. Well, also just the scene where... Without Spock Prime, the cast sort of came to the conclusion that they were in an alternate universe and said Mm -hmm. the words out loud, alternate universe. Yep. But it still felt like it felt organic. It didn't feel like they were putting that scene in for no reason. Yes. Yep. And this was also a revenge movie. Mm-hmm. How did you like the revenge bit and the villain and that part of it? Um, it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. I I don't know. I realized. Sorry, you go. Yeah. No, you. Well, go. I was going to say I. They did an okay job of like explaining why, even though he's gone back in time and his planet hasn't been destroyed yet, he would still be upset. But, eh. I realized after watching this and realizing that this was a revenge film that I am incredibly particular about revenge films, like revenge plots, Mm -hmm. because they very frequently require someone to be so ultra-focused on a single person and a single chain of events that they are stupid. Mm -hmm. Like... In this case, and please correct me if I have my timeline at all wrong Mm -hmm. here, the Romulans end up traveling back in time through, like, spatial anomaly, blah, 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 blah. They know that Spock is coming, too, but they have to have realized at some point that he's not showing up right now. He doesn't show up for 25 years in the time that they're currently in. And they spent 25 years just randomly in space doing nothing because they had to wait for Spock to appear so that he could witness the I would revenge. I like put forth that they spent 25 years yes. in space moping. Yes. Yes. Moping. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit of brooding. 
there there may have been planning. There may have been, you know, some time figuring their, their crap out about what to do. However, 25 years is a long time to lay in some pretty intricate plans, especially since there's no indication that they knew when Spock was going to come. Well, I guess, I mean, it wouldn't have taken them maybe 10 years to figure out the math. It could have been. Because they would have had to predict when he was going to come through, which would have been but they, a lot of math. Mm-hmm. That's true. But like in their first encounter in the movie, they figure out, they ask what the star date mm-hmm. is, right? From the, um, the mm-hmm. ship they attacked. That... So they know when in the past they are. And... Yeah, figure out the math, but just like if you're hell bent on revenge, just you've got this ultra high like from the future mining ship, and sure, it's just a mining ship, but you could still do a whole lot of damage with that. But no, no, they had to wait. Spock had to witness his planet's destruction. Yeah, I can't imagine staying angry for twenty five years. Yeah, or like that angry. I, I do feel like it would just sort of blow over eventually. Or you would do something self-destructive. Yes. Yes. So that is my issue with most revenge films, is that they are so focused on the revenge, they end up doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. Even in Wrath of Khan, it suffers from that a little bit. I mean, Khan is directly challenged by his own crew to be like, hey, we could do something else. And he's like, no, no, he he insists on this course because he needs revenge on Kirk. And this is the way it's going to happen. And it's ultimately his undoing. And I'm okay if there's, you know, focus on revenge is the undoing of the villain. I'm okay with that. But -hmm. in this case, a 25-year, like, layover just seems excessive to me. So Where would they have gotten food? Do Romulans eat? I they, yeah. And like 25 years, no one found them. Like well, space is big. Well, fair point. And they're a mining ship. So I guess they can go to like some remote asteroid belt that, you know, is not really habitable, but has minerals and convert energy and do that. So if, if you can, this is the, the part that usually sticks it for me that prevents it from being just like a fun movie. I can, I can whistle past a lot of the other things in this, Mm. but this one is always kind of like, Oh hmm, yeah. And then the other one that is a difficult thing is that everyone gets promoted. Yeah. At random intervals. It's just like you get promoted, you get promoted. (laughs) Pretty much. Captain Pike is a little bit of an Oprah here. It's like, yeah, you're promoted. And now, Cadet, you're promoted. And oh, you're promoted too. Hey, our helmsman, we didn't know he was capable of this like super advanced, awesome math. Yeah. So, yeah, that part always is like uh, a little unrealistic. Some of it felt okay to me. Like, like, um, Oh, I'm going to mess up her name again. Uhura's, whatever. You did um, it. I did? Yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know. <laughs> um, like, hers felt all right because they had outfitted the ships with, like, the backup crew. So it made sense to me that maybe somebody didn't speak all the languages they were supposed to. 
Yeah. Hers made sense. But Pike randomly saying, Kirk, you're first mate, even though you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. Even though you got aboard the ship through nefarious means and you're on academic suspension. Yeah. You're still the person that I'm going to pick to be first mate. McCoy's McCoy's promotion was the best, really. Yes. <laughs> Him just being like, I know, it's fine. <laughs> yes. I'm a doctor. We triage. I got it. It's no problem. Yeah. Um, that one was good. But it's the Kirk's jumping the chain of command, basically, that is bothersome. Especially, like, it's... He's the model of a hero who is, like, um, the God-touched type of hero. Right? Yeah. He doesn't get what he gets out of merit. He gets what he gets out of uh, his, his divineness of being him. And you see that from the very beginning when he manages to leap from the car, crashing off the cliff. Yeah. Um, you see that in him, you know, like all throughout the movie, he's this type of hero who just is lucky. He doesn't earn it. It's just because he's Kirk. Yeah. I think they try to make it seem like he is deserving. It's just in his nature that he is destined to be a great leader. Do you think that's... Well, okay, I don't think J.J. Abrams is this smart, but that could be like the alternate timeline trying to correct itself. I'm not sure I follow. Like... like Because in the, let's call it the prime timeline, he -hmm. was supposed to be the uh, the captain. So maybe... Oh, maybe the the universe... Yeah, it's trying to get him back where he's supposed to be. You... There is something to be said for that. Again, I don't think J.J. Abrams would have written that, but uh, we can interpret whatever we want. Yeah. Because there is a sense that, like, Kirk and Spock obviously don't get along with each other at the beginning of the film. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the film, they sort of come together in a bit of friends. And it's this sense that I have been and always shall be your friend, right? Like, that it's a force that, you know, transcends alternate universe timelines. Mm-hmm. And so it could be the same sort of thing that you could interpret for Kirk being the captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, just a thought. But mm-hmm. I don't know, like in movies like this, that type of stuff doesn't particularly bother me. I can see where it would bother somebody who is a Star Trek fan. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you have to have your plot driving forward. So whatever. Yes. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's just bothering me more because like these series Kirk's always bothered me. Um and maybe it's just the character that really rubs me the wrong way. And then combined with this type of hero mechanism, it uh, is bothering me. And then also the fact that, you know, Chris Pine isn't really uh, my most favorite actor. Although, in fairness, I can't think of another actor who would play a better Kirk. Have you so, seen Wonder Woman? Part of it. The first part. I don't know. I've seen up to when he gets into the movie. Okay. I, I kind of feel like maybe you should finish because he's really good in that. Is he? Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll endeavor to try again. I mean, also, it's fabulous. And if you've only seen up to when he gets into the movie, you haven't seen the best part of Wonder Woman. But it's fine. Okay. We will eventually watch it. Okay. 
I highly but recommend. We have to watch a couple Star Trek movies first. That's fair. Okay. Okay. I won't get into. No, we won't start talking about Wonder Woman. <laughs> it, it's very difficult for me to be like, ah. Anyway, sorry. Oh, I was going to ask, do you think um, Kirk in this, do you think that's what like the original series wanted Kirk to be, but couldn't because it was the 60s? Uh, like um, his sort of sleeping around and his general sort of brashness? Um, the original series, from what I recall, it's been a while since I've actually watched large sections of the, the TV show. Um, but he has a fair bit of like brashness and uh, arrogance slash overconfidence. Mm-hmm. And it's implied heavily that he is a ladies' man. Um, right, but the movie does not imply. No, no, the movie goes out and shows it. And mm-hmm. there is a, I was thinking about this a lot today about how, you know, as it's been more acceptable to see more sexiness and sex and skin and all this on media that we're seeing it more in Star Trek as well. And that a lot of the things that they did show in Star Trek in the sixties were probably also pushing the envelope in that way. Mm -hmm. But of course they had like television constraints and, you know, time slot considerations and all of that to worry about with how far they could go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I could see them in the 60s implying all of this because that's who it is, but they couldn't necessarily show it. Yeah. I'm- and I mean, Star Trek is born out of the 60s, which is a fairly, you know, sexist uh, time Yes. And even though they're progressive in some ways, it's still very, you can very much see uh, the systemic sexism coming through, even while they're being progressive. Yeah. I think the, well, okay, let's talk about the villain a little bit and then the humor in the movie. Okay. Uh, The villain should go with the revenge plot. Yes. So thoughts on Nero. Uh, Was he a good villain? I mean, again, we already talked about his his brooding for 25 years. That doesn't seem very realistic. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he was fine, I guess. He didn't really have much he was, going on, but whatever. Yeah, that's how I thought about a lot of it. I didn't really get much about him as a character being a threat. But because he came from the future and had like future tech Mm -hmm. that made the stakes really high yeah because they could go destroy a planet yeah what am i was i gonna say i don't remember at all Mm -hmm. oh i was gonna mention i know that there is a book that details like their side of their story in the prime universe about him and spock oh before they cross over that was supposed to Mm -hmm. sort of bridge between the original series and the movie Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read it, but he might have more of a personality in that. Yeah, because what I think, like the of the, like the bad guy or like what's at stake in this movie, he never pops into my head. It's just you know, mm-hmm. an action movie, 
and I do actually think things get destroyed. Sorry, I was just going to say, I do you think the main villain is the ship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave him a cool name, and they gave them all face tattoos, and they tried to make them sort of, you know, a presence. But mm-hmm. I don't think they did a very good job. And they even had, like, um, is it Eric Bana? Yeah. What the actor's name? Yeah. He's a good actor. And, yeah, you know... He- but actually, more, the more I think about it, because, like, none of them had any personalities. Mm-hmm. So I, I do actually just think the ship was the bad guy. Yeah. Because they were all just sort of extensions of the ship. Even, like, they didn't even kill him personally at the end. They destroyed the ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You never sort of get his final moment. And And I didn't feel like it was missing or that I needed it for you know, emotional conclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be really curious to see how they handle this in the next film. But Have you seen the I, next one? No, not yet. My oh. husband wants to watch them with me. Gotcha. So. Do you, I, well, I wasn't sure if you'd seen it when it came out. Do you want me to spoil no. that for you? Because I, I can. It's very easy. No, no, I know bits about it. And trust no, no, me. no. I, I just mean, like, do you want me to spoil how they handle that for you? No. No, no, okay. don't spoil that. I will get there on my own. I'm sure I will have loads to say about the next film on that score. Um, but going back to this one, let's talk a bit about the humor of the film. Did you find it had a good balance? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, as much as we're being super nitpicky mm-hmm. and... Uh, a lot of the things J.J. Abrams said and did I don't really like, I do enjoy this movie. I think mm-hmm. it's fun and entertaining. There are a lot of fun parts. And I have to say, there was a really good mix of uh, Easter eggs and nods for Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. And most of them I really enjoyed. And that's why I've got a long list of them. Mm-hmm. And the only thing which actually one of our uh, listeners uh, from... Uh, at Zinkstoat on Twitter, he had said that he was a big fan of Simon Pegg, but thought his Scotty overdid the comic relief angle a wee bit and wanted to know our, our thoughts on that. And I did find the bits with Scotty to be a little bit over the top. I can see where you're coming from there. But A, mm-hmm. it's a movie that's not a time to go into everybody as a human person. True. And B... All my memories of like, see, I haven't, I obviously haven't seen uh, the original series mm-hmm. episode ever. Um, but like everything about Scotty that is just sort of in the pop culture subconscious is over the top. You know, it's always that over the top Scottish accent. It's always just him yelling, we can't do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it, it didn't feel disingenuous to me. Okay. That's but, fair. Maybe a Star Trek fan has a different, like a part an original of, Star Trek fan has a different view. Part of what contributed to the feeling was that they gave him an alien comic sidekick. Yeah, that's fair. And the whole sort of um, charade of getting them on the ship and then he gets into like the water system and then through the pipes and then he gets spat out like I felt like 
that little bit of um, hijinks of him not transporting into the right spot on the ship maybe could have been shorter. I guess I am going to point out though, that earlier you said you felt that that, that transport was a little unbelievable. And now you're like, they screwed it up. How dare they? (laughs) I guess that's a fair point. I can't say that it was at first. I'm like, no, no, it's too unbelievable that he could transport that far. And like, get it right and then it's like but he didn't get it right he got it slightly wrong and i don't want that wrongness either yeah so you can't please jen it's impossible i i to be fair i think you can't please a lot of star trek fans with this movie so oh yes yes that's that's fair um but yeah in general the the other humorous beats in the film i enjoyed i really enjoyed mccoy getting kirk onto the ship by like, you know, yeah. vaccinating him and starting a reaction and he's just hauling him around across and he's having all these medical issues. That part I thought was funny, but that's partly just because they're torturing Kirk. Yeah. I, I And Carl Urban was great in this film. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I did like in the whole sequence of Kirk getting like sicker and sicker and McCoy looking more and more panicked. <laughs> that was good. Because at one point he's like, I can give you something for that. And he's just like, uh. (laughs) (laughs) How far can I take this without going too far? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more of Scotty in the next films to see how they handle that. Hmm. Because I think his, his performance of the accent... And everything like that was fine. I just think maybe this the the situational comedy that they had written for him mm-hmm. was what felt a little over the top for me. I feel like I should warn you, nothing gets better in the second one. <laughs> things might get better in the third one. That is what I've heard. But again, I slept through it. Um, okay. Things don't get better. Okay. Don't, don't well, expect I'm interested better. To see how they, um, I'm interested to see how they play out and everything like that and then should we talk about my final point are we ready to get into that uh yeah sure okay so the final nitpicky point that we're gonna get into is the um huge sexist undercurrent that runs through this whole entire movie which yeah i mean i understand that it's in the star trek universe and yes the women wore mini skirts in the original series. And there is an argument to be made to not ignore that element of canon and things like that. However, there were a lot of other choices made in the film that really just demonstrate a lot of sexism. And after hearing Kate say JJ Abrams comment about getting women to care. Oh, have you never at the heard him say that? Hmm? no oh no yeah his whole point with that scene was to get his wife invested and as soon as she was invested he knew that he could get the women on board it was oh it was dumb oh he is also yeah so it doesn't oh sorry surprise me at all that hearing him say that that all of these little things that were picked up on yeah and what else has he done or said Um, he's also said that he like specifically okay i don't remember the exact quote on this one so Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, listeners, 
but he said something like he never really understood the philosophy of the original series. Yes, and I have one other point about that as well. I mean, Um, a lot of people think he just did these movies as sort of like his resume to get Star Wars. Yes, exactly. There's so many points. The planet Scotty's on. The fact that Scotty has this alien sidekick. The, the land vehicle design. Like, there are so many elements here where it's like, you know, hey, I've thrown this thing into Star Trek. See what I could do. I could do the formula for Star Wars, too. There was a land vehicle? Uh, just before Kirk and McCoy get on. Um, oh, okay. And they're going to the... Yep, yep. The, to blast off into space there's like a motorbike and there's a few other things that you see and i'm like oh that looks like right out of star wars like maybe shinier yeah but pretty much right out of star wars so many bits and pieces were like yeah this is jj abrams movie resume to disney or whoever owned star wars at that time and that hey i could direct star wars yeah and yeah and i have heard that like you know he enjoyed doing Star Trek, but when as soon as he got the chance to do Star Wars, it was like oh yeah, he dropped it his... like a hot potato. Oh yeah, that's why he didn't do the yeah. third one. Yeah, um, but let's go over some of the other little bits that are sexist in the movie, just mm-hmm. in case people didn't see them. Um, so right from the very first flashback, there are you know the fact that children still insult boys about their mother, and I think that the they call her a whore. They did, yeah. Um, that that one in particular doesn't bother me too much, just because those scenes were about Spock and his mother. But I mean, to be fair, the overall well, fridging of his mother in general. Yes. I guess that all yeah. kind of comes together. Yes. And I mean, you can choose to have, uh, you know, kids pick on his mother, but you could choose it to be about other elements of his mother. Oh, that's, yeah, absolutely. They did not need to use the word whore or go in that yeah. direction. Yeah. Um, the entire bar scene at the beginning where Kirk is hitting on Uhura. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't mind so much his drunken, uh, you know, attempts to, you know, hit on a girl. Um, because he actually doesn't seem to ever cross the line. Mm -hmm. However, then she has to be rescued apparently with some guys who aren't listening to her when she's like, no, no guys, stop it. You need to knock it off. Like, cause apparently she doesn't know her own mind. Yeah. And I mean, even his like pathetic pickup artistry attempts, they really were just like talking back and forth and she seemed annoyed, but I also have no doubt that Sue, like even if she were drunk, she could have kicked his ass if she needed to. And she wasn't cause she had just walked into the bar. Yeah. So I don't think she was drunk, but yeah, she no. absolutely, you could tell she was very confident and just like, whatever with this guy. Yeah. But they just totally came into the situation. Didn't ask her just assumed it to be the case Mm -hmm. and then started beating Kirk up. Yep. And then McCoy gets some lovely characterization of his ex-wife because that trope about 
ex-wives, you know, is alive and well hundreds of years in the future. Yeah. Was that a thing in the original series? Um, I'm pretty sure that he had an ex-wife and I can't remember the specifics of how he talked about her or, um, things in general, but he does have a couple episodes in which he gets either former love interests are there or things like that. And he does, he is in general kind of bitter about how he's been treated Mm -hmm. in love. So, I mean, I think the ex-wife is probably canon, but we could also leave the trope behind about how women, you know, take a man for all he's got in a divorce. The whole relationship of Uhura and Spock, a little bit problematic since he's her instructor. Yeah. And she manipulates him to get the posting she wants. I was okay with that. I mean, I'm okay with her going and being like, you know, this is where I should be. And my qualifications are the reason why. Mm -hmm. And Spock being like, oh, well, I didn't want it to seem like favoritism. And then, but it was just still that there's that whole dynamic of he had to pick where she was going to be posted and instructor and student. And it just. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. So, I mean, if they would have put somebody else in charge of the posting assignments and had her talk to them about it. And I get, you know, time constraints. They can't have all these other characters in the movie, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's the whole scene with Gala and Kirk where he is making out with her and they have to have the Orion woman who's half naked. And then Uhura has to come into the room and also get half naked. Yeah. I love this idea that roommates are cool to just have a conversation in their underwear. Oh, I know. Right. That's, that's what I do with my roommates all the time yep come on um i'm really actually glad that they haven't done this with discovery so far yeah there seems to be like another place people go to dress and undress which is as it should be um i mean and then yeah oh sorry i was just gonna say i have no problem with roommates being like comfortable with each other but you wouldn't just stop and have a conversation you know, yes. you wouldn't be lying on your bed kind of provocatively in your underwear when your roommate came in and have them not comment on it. Right. And not feel like the first thing they say was like, oh, a guy's coming over or a girl or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd walk in, see them laying that way in the underwear and being like, I either interrupted something or someone's on their way. So. Yep. Yeah. And. Then you also have the fridging of Spock's mom mm-hmm. and Nero's wife. I remember specifically at one point thinking to myself about J.J. Abrams being that director who always killed off the wives. But then I remembered I was thinking of Christopher Nolan. And mm. yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting that maybe they both fit that bill. Yeah. Just a lot of really problematic tropes just all thrown into the movie Mm -hmm. and in fairness star trek historically 
is not above these tropes. They very much still exist in like the cultural atmosphere that creates all of these things. But in some instances, they do better than others. And this one was just not good. Yeah. It doesn't get better in the next one. Mm. I remember hearing some things about that. Yeah. Literally a scene JJ apologized for. and was like, yeah, we just did that. So she took her shirt off. Yeah. But for all of that, it still is at least a fun movie. Yeah. I mean, I mean, oh, you go. Uh, like I was going to just say that there were a lot of things that they did right. A lot of which were just because of who they cast. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, even though I'm not a huge Chris Pine fan, I can't think of anybody else who would potentially be a better Kirk. And maybe he was just caught between some flawed writing. Well, this was sort of his breakout role. Like he'd done movies before this, but he wasn't like famous yet. This was his right. his big role. So Right. Mm-hmm. That worked out well for him. Yeah. Yeah, like I said before, I mean we're being fairly critical of it, but it is a fun, entertaining, fast paced movie. Yeah. Though I did have to pull it out of our donate away box. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> well, we bought it shortly after it came out. And then the next films came out and we were like, oh, we're not even sure we're going to watch those. And we haven't to date. And so it was only when I started doing the podcast and it was like, yeah, we're going to go watch these. And then my husband was like, oh, um, well, <laughs> good thing I haven't taken the movies back to the used video store yet. There's a used video store in your neighborhood? Yes, there is. What year do you live in over there? (laughs) The year of awesome. Oh, okay. That's partly why we have so many cheap films, because when you can buy it for six bucks or four bucks or, yeah, it's, yeah. We We don't have things like that here on this side of the river. No. Well, it's not very common. But this particular used video store has been in existence for like 20 plus years. Wow. And it rents videos too. Oh my God, that's insanity. And, and video games, and they sell used video game systems and used video games. And yeah. It's like 1999 over there. Crazy. It totally is. Um, now, should we bring up the. Uh, mood a bit and I I can go through all of the Easter eggs and funny little homages that they did. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, So one of the funny little jokes that they put in was Uhura's name, because as far as I can recollect in the original series, she didn't actually get a first name. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong. Any listeners out there can fill me in. But she was always just referred to as Uhura or Lieutenant Uhura. And I think later on in the movies, maybe Commander Uhura. But yeah, so the whole thing of Kirk asking her name and her not telling like that they played with throughout the whole movie was kind of this 
uh, nod to the fact that she what her character was such a non-character uh, in the original series that they never even gave her a full name. Um, and now she gets a name. And one of the things that I liked about her in general in this film is that she is really smart and incredibly capable. And she gets to do a little bit more than the original mm-hmm. series Uhura did. Uh, some other fun Easter eggs is Captain Pike makes an appearance And in the same vein of like the universe, you know, bringing certain events about no matter what, he ends up in a wheelchair, which also happens in the Prime Universe. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, The Kobayashi Maru scenario is one that comes up in the original series, in the movies, I believe, is the only place they mention it for the original series crew. And it's mentioned that Kirk is the only one who beat it. And then we get to see how he beat it. So some Star Trek fans really liked it. I know a few who really did not like seeing him beat the scenario. They kind of liked it just being a, a legend, but. Okay. I, di- I didn't know what that's, what the roots were for that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's mentioned in Star Trek two uh, that he's the only cadet who ever uh, won the scenario, so to speak. And yeah. And I know somebody really doesn't like how it played out in this movie because it's very much played out like he's cheating. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say his speech at the uh, inquest or whatever he's in, mm-hmm. he raises some valid points. Like his speech about no one scenarios, I thought was one of his best, most Kirk-esque moments. Yeah. Um so I didn't like his his attitude in the Kobayashi Maru actual. I like. I loved everybody's attitude playing against him, though. How everybody else was just like, <laughs> like rolling their eyes. Yes, yes. Um, they mentioned Nurse Chappelle, who is a character on the Enterprise in the original series. Yeah, they mentioned her. There's one part where. I can't even remember what scene it's in, but they call her over the calm. Oh, okay. Like, it's just very much in the background, like, Nurse Chappelle to blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, she's there. Okay, gotcha. Um, Sulu gets to be fencing, which he did in the original series. Okay, cool. And uh, they make him a little more kick-ass in this one. They modernize it a bit. I also just, I love that actor, and I love any time he gets to be a badass. Obviously, his name escapes me. Yes. I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. Um, I have. John Cho. There we go. John Cho. Okay. Google. He, um, you have. Yeah. Like. He looks familiar. But I, I mean. I, I don't look at his face and think, oh, it's so-and-so from such movie. Right. The other thing that I really liked him in was Sleepy Hollow, the TV series. Okay. But I mean, he was in the American Pie franchise, Harold and Kumar. Haven't seen either of them. Okay. I mean, you're not missing much there (laughs) unless you want to get drunk and laugh. Most people probably get high and laugh. But anyways, Mm -hmm. um, he was in other stuff. He might be familiar to me because I've seen enough of the commercials for those that 
like it yeah. imprinted his face. But anyways, um, some more really fun lines. Of course, McCoy had the famous, damn it, man, I'm a doctor, not a physicist. And Even I recognize that one. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. And it was so well delivered. Mm-hmm. Again, Carl Urban, fabulous. Um, Spock got to have his famous line, I have been and always shall be your friend. Another McCoy line, are you out of your Vulcan mind? Uh, they mentioned Admiral Archer's prize beagle. And Admiral Archer is, of course, a reference to Captain Jonathan Archer from Enterprise, who did have a pet beagle on his ship, which was adorable. And Scotty got it. This a- was after Enterprise? Yes. Enterprise takes place before. All no, of no, this. I mean, like. Real world time. They made the movies after Enterprise was on? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, Scotty got to have, a, of course, an engineering line about giving it all she's got, Captain. Yep. And then my only other note was like actually seeing the Enterprise. And I don't know if I just noticed it for the first time here, but it had like almost no windows. And I was just like, I, it just totally popped out at me this time and I couldn't remember if that's always how the Enterprise looked or if they made a design change or if I was just noticing it this time so those are the fun things I mean no windows means no special effects so probably that's true and like thinking back to it it wasn't very often that you would see like a space scene in the background of a room or anything like that Mm -hmm. it was always just like a closed box room so should we get into some of the listener comments and questions? Yes. Yeah, sorry, I just had a very big yawn. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so we had a comment from Christine at Geeksy Dunbar on Twitter. And I think this is one we're going to have to keep coming back to because she asks, how do you think the reboot movies hold up to Gene Roddenberry's idea for Star Trek to show humanity what it might develop into if it would learn from the lessons of the past? most specifically by ending violence. Any thoughts on that? They they kind of ignore it. Yeah, they don't get too much into it in this movie, I think. Like they, they definitely get, don't in the next one. They get provoked in this movie. And like Okay. What do I think? Mhm. In other Star Trek movies, the stakes escalate throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. So even when they have to resort to violence, it's because they have tried other means of solving the problem. And sometimes Mm -hmm. their solution is even like a scientific solution. Or, Or, you know, it's not always just, we'll bring even bigger guns to this gunfight. Mm-hmm. In this movie, the stakes are dialed up to 11 from the beginning. Yeah. There's there's no attempt at diplomacy with Nero. Um, he's too cardboard a character to even really try that with. Like, every time they send somebody over to, you know, discuss terms of surrender or whatever, he just kills them. Like, extracts whatever mind knowledge they have with the... Uh, Centurion slug things, which is again yeah. another homage to Star Trek 2, where they have similar slug things 
that cause mind control. Yeah. But yeah, there's no attempt. And I think that squarely comes down to the fact that like JJ Abrams doesn't really have a feel for Gene Roddenberry's vision. No, I don't think so either. And again, I think he was trying to make a cinematic resume for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And just happened to cast some really excellent people and involve some people who did love Star Trek enough to make it better than what it would have been without them. I do... Nope, what was I going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I know in the next one, I think ever so briefly, the Prime Directive comes up. Okay. But then they just get into the plot. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, I honestly think J.J. Abrams just ignores Gene Roddenberry's vision. Right. Um, Rachel on Twitter, at Gypsy Book Nerd, asked, does the movie satisfy you as a reboot? Does it feel like Star Trek with updates and changes, or a whole new story, new characters? And I've been trying to think... What makes a good reboot a good reboot? I honestly think it does do a good reboot because it keeps enough of the original cast and makes a lot, as we just went over, mm-hmm. a lot of like nods to the original, mm-hmm. but still has its own story and feel and uh, mythos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like that they did an alternate universe version. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike comic book reboots, which, um, there's a lot of like comic book canon for rebooting characters and telling their stories in different ways all, all the time. Um, so like for comic book movies, it's quite easy to create a reboot Mm -hmm. because that's sort of part of their world that you're coming from anyways. For Star Trek, I think that they had the challenge that, you know, this isn't really part of Star Trek's world. And so doing an alternate timeline was good. And it does feel like new story, new characters, which we'll talk about next week is part of the reason why the premise of the next movie disappointed me so, so much. Mm -hmm. And then, like, honestly, the only other good reboot I can think of that I really love is the rebooted Tron. But people who love the original Tron, I don't know if they think of it as a good reboot because I hated the original Tron. So I never saw the original Tron. Mm. I didn't think the new one was that great of a movie. Although in a very, very, very small technical sense, Mm. I was in it. Oh, I didn't know this. (laughs) Not... They recorded some audio in Hall H at Comic-Con, oh, and I was there. Okay. The the crowd uh, cheering scenes. Mm, okay. That was me. Gotcha. Um, I actually know someone who was an extra in the Star Trek movie. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. I've never managed to spot him in the crowd scene that he's in, uh, but yeah, he, was, he did get to be in that. I really thought you were going to say Tron, which would make sense because it was filmed here. I have uh, no idea where Star Trek was filmed. Oh, our, this person lives in L.A. Oh, okay. So, um, it was filmed in L.A. And, yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah, this does kind of feel like Star Trek. Again, I want it to do even better 
especially with all of the sexism in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love it if they, I would love to see in the next movies, if they embrace new changes for the characters even more, but I have a feeling I'm going to be disappointed on that score. Well, we're going to take a sharp turn downward. Yep. And then, and then according to everybody, we come back up for the last one. Cause JJ was GTFO'd. Yeah. Um, from Becca Eller at the Becca Eller on Twitter. She says, I'm not totally sure it's Trek, but I really enjoy the new movies. The tone is a little off from the rest of the franchise, but I still claim them. And that is awesome. Like, um, even though Kate and I have been fairly critical, love what you love. So if, if you love the movies, that's awesome. I know a few people who love these movies. Um, they're some of their favorites in the Star Trek universe. I still don't really think of them as the Star Trek universe. I think of them more as the Star Trek inspired universe. I think I'm happier with that. And yeah. I, like I said, I really enjoy this movie, even the next one, which I think is not a great movie. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Right. It's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. I'm like, whatever. Carl Urban's there. I'm good. There's <laughs> Yes. I was gonna... That is a good point. Carl Urban's there and there's some merit to watching Carl Urban. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with a fun movie and there's nothing wrong with liking things that are problematic. And I was also, I mean, I was also coming at them from a different point of view than you. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. And I always just want my Star Trek to be doing even better. So mm-hmm. I'm always going to be like, you know, here's how much I liked it. And here's where I want it, them to go next and be even better with the next one. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then we also have a, a long email from Matthew again. He's written to the show before. And some of his thoughts on the reboot movie. Uh, the thing that particularly sticks in his memory of it is that they destroyed Vulcan and didn't bring it back. Uh, So often in films that have an element of time travel or magic, there is huge destruction, death, or damage, which is undone later in the piece. Superman the movie and Daywatch are two films I can definitely point this out in. So when Vulcan was destroyed, I figured it would be alright because they would time travel their way out of it somehow. I remember walking out of that film with a healthy respect for the fact that they had done something significant and allowed it to stick. Other than that, I enjoy watching the impressions the main cast generally do of their predecessors. And then he has a couple of questions. I was going to say, just before we move on with the email, that's an interesting point to bring up because in the second movie, they do the opposite. Oh, really? Yeah, something (laughs) Something big happens and they just undo it. Yeah. Um, And I, I had, just after seeing it, I'd read an article about it that was like, if they had just done it this way, it would have been so much more impactful and I can talk more to that next week. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Matthew brought that up because Matthew and Mandy on pop culturally deprived did a selective watching of Dr. Who. Mm-hmm. And I watched those select episodes along with them. And that was one of the things that prevented me from getting too much into it is that a lot of the Dr. Who arcs, there'd be like, raise the stakes, raise the stakes, raise the stakes. But then he's a time lord, so here's how he just is going to magically fix and undo things and put them all right yeah. again. What episodes did you watch? 
Oh, there's a list. I can send you the link. Okay. Because there's, there's a lot. It was a lot of Doctor yeah. Who. Not all of it, but significant portions of it. Um, now back to the email. Matthew's questions. Mm-hmm. Does Discovery now add anything to this story? I'm thinking particularly on the matter of Spock going to the Vulcan Science Academy. Thoughts uh, on he didn't go to the Science Academy. Wait. No, he did. Wait. What did he not do? I'm not sure if this is exactly what Matthew's talking about, but Mm -hmm. upon graduation of the Science Academy, I think there was the option to join, um, and the name of it is escaping me now, but basically the Vulcan version of Starfleet. Um, Okay. And that's what Michael was going to, got rejected from, or what what Sarah had to choose between the two of them from. And then it, Yes. Okay. And so then in this movie, you see Spock rejecting it because of their uh, attitudes towards his mixed parentage. I really liked that scene. It may not have been very Spockish, but I really liked how he said live long and prosper, but it was actually fuck off. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, Anyways. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but Zach Quinto in this movie, Mm -hmm. really good. Yeah. I I really enjoy his performance of Spock. And his interpretation of Spock, I feel, is different than Leonard Nimoy's interpretation of Spock. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's okay. Like, it works. He's not trying too hard to bring something that is not there to the character. He's letting it be a slightly different Spock character. Mm -hmm. Which I think was the right thing to do. Um, and Discovery adding some new elements to this. I mean, it definitely gives some more background into Spock, and I definitely appreciate him more, knowing a bit more about the fact that, like, the his rift with his father gets a bit more depth because of what we find out in Discovery. Yeah. And I do like that. And... I don't think it adds anything to this particular movie. Yeah. Other than you could perhaps like there's a close up of Sarek when Spock is like, thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. And you could interpret that a little differently. Yeah. It would be a thorn in the side of um, the fact that, you know, Spock has a half sister who never gets referenced in the movie at all. I mean, they do have other things going on, but although, yeah, you'd think they would have called her and been like, so mom's dead. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she's. And everyone else. She's four years older than Spock, I think is what they've said in the timeline. And so she would already be well into her Starfleet career. But this is post Klingon War. Mm -hmm. So who knows where she is at this point? Interesting to think about, though, how it's tied together. You could also make the argument that it's an alternate universe and maybe she just doesn't exist. That could or be. Or wasn't adopted by them or whatever. That could be. The trajectory could have played out completely differently in this timeline. Another question. Do you buy the outburst Kirk causes Spock to have over his mother? Um, in this movie, yes, because they set it up. Okay. With, with the, the outburst that he had as a kid and right. 
like their whole relationship. I have heard that people don't like the way that Spock was written being very emotional in this one. Mm -hmm. But again, his planet was just destroyed, so it doesn't really bother me. True. Yeah. I... Spock himself is much more emotional in this timeline, even before the planet's destroyed. Like Mm -hmm. him having a romantic relationship with Uhura. I mean, Uhura flirted with him in the original series in some scenes and was almost teasing him because of his lack of an emotional response. Mm -hmm. So the fact that in this one, he's got a girlfriend is already kind of, a departure for Spock. Yeah. I kind of was okay with it. It didn't stand out to me as like, that's something Spock would never do. But I also was never too much of a huge Spock fan, which is just like, I I was more ambivalent on him than other characters in the Star Trek universe. Star Trek is kind of hyper-focused on Spock, which in some ways pushes me away from it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought they bought it in the movie again, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that is everything we have to say about the movie. Yeah, I don't think I've got anything else. I think that was all the questions that Matthew had. And are we going to do a fortune cookie? Because I did not get one. It's in the cupboard. <laughs> Too far. It's okay. Let me Google a fortune cookie here. Okay, who are we giving the fortune to? Um, you decide. I'll pull up a fortune. Okay, I want to give it to McCoy. That's that's fair. Okay, Carl Urban. Um, just gonna click on. Not that one. Jesus. <laughs> The way forward lies in the fastidious removal of adverbs. This one might be a joke. <laughs> you think? Sorry, just a random Google. Um, okay, here, let's try this yeah. one. Today is the day to show someone you care. I feel like we've gotten that one before. Oh, shoot. But I'm, maybe I clicked on the same okay. list. Okay, hang on. I will disconnect my mic and go get a fortune cookie. That's going to be better than any of this. Okay. I now have a fortune cookie. Yay. Here we go. Luck will visit you on the next new moon. That's an interesting one to get in space. (laughs) I know. That was my first thought, too. Like, when he's actually at the next, like, moon on the moon. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Depending on their orientation, there could be all sorts of moons and all sorts of phases. Or like maybe he has to wait till he's back on Earth. Oh, that could be. Or back on a planet that has a lunar doohickey based timeline, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that has moon phases yeah, as there opposed we go. to a moon sure. that like matches the orbit and is. Uh, anyway. Yes. Okay. So there's McCoy's fortune luck will visit you on the next new moon Ooh, will there be moons in the next movies hmm. okay i know he lands on a thing 
I don't remember what it is. Okay. Recommendations? I don't know that I have anything in particular to recommend. Although an interesting sounding book popped up on my Twitter this morning. Mm-hmm. The new book called Juniper Leaves. Mm-hmm. And it's written... I can't remember the author's name. It's a young adult book. It's... It's got a fantasy element because there's magic in it, but it's also a science element. Was it a Kickstarter book? I don't think so. Um, Oh, come on. Where are my books? That is the first thing that came up on Google for me. Okay. Juniper Leaves, The Otherworldly Tale of a Lonesome Magical Girl. Bye. By uh, Jazz Joyner. Yeah, that's this Kickstarter book. Oh, it's a Kickstarter book. Okay. Maybe it got picked up, up by a publisher. Um, or I just saw it as a link mm. to like somebody being like, oh, the book's out now. And then I looked it up and it's on Goodreads. So, yeah, and it sounds good. Um, the main, the a few of the cool things about it is the main character mm-hmm. is a person of color. Um, and it's written by a person of color, uh, a trans person and yeah, it's a fantastical coming of age tale of a girl who learns to let go, live a little, and best of all, believe in herself all by her 16th birthday. So sounds fun. I will try and check it out and read it at some point eventually. Cool. Um, for my recommendation, I was going to say I just started playing the PlayStation 4 release of Final Fantasy IX last night, which is a lot of fun to play a high-def game from the 90s. And it was one of my favorite games growing up. And it's mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just a lot of fun. So I, I recommend the high-def re-release of PlayStation 1 games on PlayStation 4. Seeing those pixels in high def is a lot of fun. All right. Also, you get trophies. Awesome. Gotta love the Chivos. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, I think that does it for this week. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact contact us at a command of her own at gmail.com or at command of her own on Twitter. And yeah. Are we going to like outro ourselves again? Like uh, we usually like to, I was also actually just going to throw a quick, I don't know. I'm going to be at a show at PodCon <gasps> on Friday. Anybody else is going to be at the adventure zone show. I have no way of describing myself so that I would stand out, but I'll be there in Seattle or Tacoma. Well, whatever. I had forgotten that that was a thing that was happening. Yes. Cool. I'm excited. You'll have to tell us a little bit about it on the next episode. Yes. All right. So uh, this has been Caitlin. And this has been Jen. All right. See you all next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.